Welcome to Argyle Chat, the Plymouth Argyle podcast brought to you by the Herald Sports Desk. Hello and welcome to another episode of Argyle Chat where we will look back on another fine win for the Pilgrims against Peacebury United. Joining me today are Jack Ball. Hiya Jack. Good morning. And a special warm welcome to today's special guest. Danny Salmon. Hi, Danny. Morning. You're special guest. I think you're here to offer you a special guest. I'll take the special guest. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just still recovering from Saturday. So I'm all right with the the game. We revealed to Danny when he popped into the office last week that he's going to Cyprus when the playoff final is uh, to be played. So if Argos should get there, guess who won't be there? Yeah, I've had a word with my my um, my daughter who's getting married in Cyprus, and that's where I have to be. And I told her she was a bit selfish um, doing it. Uh, the the prospect of uh, me missing the playoffs if we get there. Um, hopefully, we will get there. But uh, well, that's one game. I suppose you, you don't mind missing it. I might I might have to stay and uh, miss the wedding. I yeah, <laughs> someone else can give her away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as you say, though, guys, another win for our girl. Um, another dramatic one as well, Jack. Um, a last-minute stop or stoppage time penalty, wasn't it, from Graham Carey? Yeah, there was certainly um, been some dramatic games at Home Park recently. You had Bristol Rovers where we were, went behind twice, um, and I just feel like um, Argo got such a, a good spirit at the moment. And they, when they go behind, the heads don't tend to drop; it tends to spur them on a little bit more. Um, we saw against Charlton away what an early goal can do to you when you're away, but they conceded an early goal again at home. But that didn't that didn't it, surprisingly it didn't get the players down because the, the atmosphere. I don't know what you've done; it went quite flat. And I thought that that was a potential for the players to, to not respond necessarily very well. But they did. And Peterborough surprised me about how little football they play. They seem to just whack the ball up long quite mm. often. Now, whether that was because Madison was missing and he's a key part of that, I, I don't know. But I think Argyle played really well. And Peterborough was the one fixture out of all the remaining fixtures that scared me the most. I've, I said to Chris a few weeks ago that Peterborough was the team that scared me the most, that were chasing Argyle. And... Um, it was a dramatic day, game, but it was one that I think everyone, everyone in the green persuasion enjoyed by the time the full-time whistle came along. Well, I think this season we've had everything you can actually throw at the supporters and the players. You know, we've had sending-offs, we've had penalties galore, we've had late comebacks, we've had early goals, we've had big results. It's been, it's been a terrific, especially home season for Plymouth Argyle. Um, and deservedly, we, we came back into the game with, with a late penalty, but it was a penalty. Um, but it's so nice to see the spirit um, and you know the no die attitude that players have got at this moment in time, and they always believe that they're going to get back into a game if they're not in front or they're, they're coming back from behind, and and that manifests itself when at the start of the season I remember a supporter coming up to me and saying, "Oh, Derek Adams has lost the dressing room," and I looked at him and I thought, "How do you know he's lost the dressing room?" You know, a supporter will just make a comment like that and. And I turned around and I said in one of my articles that he hasn't lost his dressing room. The players, even when we were struggling at the start of the season, were battling tooth and nail right through the game. And I think now that the players are all back, we're all playing with confidence, we never look out of a game and we always feel like we're going to get back into it. And I think it actually showed itself big time on Saturday. It was all the more impressive as well because... Jack Marriott obviously scored very early on with a good goal and you would think that you know the league's top goal scorer I think he's got 32 goals in all competitions or something this season against uh, Sonny Bradley and Zach Viner he scores an early goal and you think his confidence is going to be huge and he could possibly fancy getting two or three goals and you'd think that Bradley's and Viner's confidence would be quite low but they kept him so contained for most of the game and the, you know and then they got the equaliser obviously which uh, again was fantastic team play uh, and 
a great cross and Taylor was there to do what he does do and I'm glad for him because he obviously broke his ankle against Peter in the first yeah. game of the season so that would have been good and fans sometimes as I said in last week's podcast they look at strikers don't they and look at his appearances look at his goal tally and think that's not very good but Ryan Taylor can contribute so much more so it's good for him to get a goal and then well, at last yeah it's what he does in the game it's yeah. not a question of him he's never going to score you 25 goals a season no. But he occupies centre-halves. He causes the defenders a problem all the time. That allows people like Lemiris and Carey and one or two others to do what they do best. It's as simple as that. And coming back to Jack Marriott, he scored. We all know that he got half a chance. But I still worry a little bit about um, the goalkeeping position because to get lobbed from the edge of the box when he's six yard, over the six-yard line um, I thought was a bit disappointing for me. But... The rest of the game, I never saw him. So that just tells you everything that you need to know about how we defended against one of the best strikers in that league. And then obviously they got the penalty at the last minute and we spoke last week about would you want yeah. Carey to take it? And, you know, Chris said on the podcast and I think that a lot of people would echo what he said that you wouldn't have any other player in the team taking no. the penalty in that sort of situation mm-hmm. despite the fact he's missed the last two or maybe the last three and he's stuck it away so well. And, you know, there's a video on our website and you just saw how, how much it meant to the fans and it just felt... It really did feel like David against Goliath in that game, I thought, ahead of the game, and, and, and David David won. Well, Just going back to what Jack said earlier on about the, the sort of character that the team showed, um, we were speaking off air a minute ago about the sort of resources and how Argyle are punching above their weight. How key is it to Argyle to have that team spirit and that character? Because, you know, we are very much out on a limb here. That, um, it does bring players close together, doesn't it? it it's a massive, um, a massive thing to have team spirit when you're not supposed to be playing at a level that you are. Burnley in the Premiership yeah. and Bournemouth in the Premiership can you know, testify to that and, and teams like Brighton. We're no different. Wickham, Accrington, there's a lot of teams that need that camaraderie and that team spirit because you're not going to get the best players coming to your club. Um, you need a good team spirit all the way through from the managers all the way down through to the, to the board members, to the players, to the staff. There has to be that closeness together. Um, and if you've got that, and you have got that little bit of ability, it can pull you through those bad times as well. Um, and against teams that have got, obviously, a lot more quality and a lot more finances. Uh, so for our goal, you know, I think that they've, they've shown that they're a good unit, they're a good team, um, and, and they do really help each other on, on and off the field. Certainly when the chips are down early in the season and things won't go in their way, you know, that seems to be where they really sort of dug in and, and came together and turned it around. The thing is, you, well, we've spoken to Paul Stoke a lot, a lot and he said during his spell, you know, it was very important yeah. to have all the players living together, not going home all the time. He would stay down with them and build that team spirit. And it's no coincidence that two of our guys' most successful seasons have come when Adams has done a similar sort of thing and, and Paul Stoke did that. I mean, we had John Sheridan beforehand, who I don't think was, you know, was popping home every now and again and whatnot. And I think players are doing that also. I don't think that works at all when you're so far away and you follow our goal players on Instagram, on Twitter, they, they, you get sort of that insight. Yeah. And I know it's only what they want to put out there, but you sort of see that spirit. And players like Gary Miller, who's maybe not played so much recently, and Jan Songo, who's maybe not played so much recently, they seem to be two of the key players in the dressing room from what they show. And it shows that even if you're not in that starting level, you still have an important role in the whole team aspect. Yeah, I think success helps that. When you're doing well, helps that. It's when things are not going well that you find out about players. And you might get little groups separating. But with Plymouth, they've been like that whether they've been doing well or not. And that's the difference. I see a lot of teams that are doing great and everybody is enjoying 
the process and, and big teams are, you know, you know, getting to finals and winning championships. So the players that are not in the side, it's not a big problem. It's when things are not going well, you find out about a team. And we've done that, whether we have done well or not. And just as um, importantly, you find out about a manager, don't you? And Derek Adams has yeah. proved that he's not just a manager, he can coach players because he's made players yeah. that look confident with the lowest of the lows and he's turned them around. I mean, some of the players at start season looked for, for straight figures, didn't they? You know, people get sent off a lot for rash tackles and he's managed to calm that down and he's managed to build players up, you know, there's so many managers out there that can bring players in if they're not good enough, but sort of on the whole, Adams has turned players that aren't necessarily big names into some very good players, and I think he deserves, deserves and his backroom staff deserve a lot of credit for that. Yeah, yeah indeed. Um, can you uh, question here, or not so much a question, but a comment from Lewis? If that was the first half of the season, Argyle would not have come back in that Peterborough game. I guess really that kind of reflects the, the, the character of the team that we're talking about. But can you remember um, home form being this good at home park? Well, I think only, I suppose, maybe in the Stoic days. Um, and there have been times, even when I was playing here, uh, I think um, even though we were struggling away from home, we only lost two games at home in that season when I was here. So, you know, but saying that, put that to one side, it's been an absolute joy to watch the enthusiasm of the players and the supporters um, and the way that even, even when the crowd goes quiet, the players, when, when things are not going so well, the players still believe in themselves and they drag the supporters with them. Um, and to have a good home record and to have that sort of mentality at home is very, very important. And, and that reflects on, I think, the results. And I think that, uh, you know, you can't think of many better times that we've had at home, can you? The thing is, you know, anyone that knows me, my memory is not the best. I can barely remember what happened last week, but... Um, that is true. I, I, <laughs> I think that um, the good thing about this season in particular is that we've lost that desperation. I think, Stu, you've commented a few times in the past how you think oh, God, we were so desperate to get out of League Two yeah. that they almost had to play in a methodical way, couldn't really play the expansive football because they were so desperate just to grind out results. This season they seem to have lost those shackles and have so much freedom and they've been playing some far better football against some teams that spend some big money. Mm. And well, because the pressure's off as well. Yes, you know, exactly. the, early in the season... If it was offered to you, just staying up and finishing, what, 20th? I don't know if that's just outside the relegation zone. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Just outside the relegation Any Argyle fan would have taken that. But such is the run now that everyone's just enjoying but, what's happening. And that's the thing, I don't think, as a fan of football, you can necessarily not be disappointed if they didn't make the playoffs now because you wouldn't be a fan if you were just like, oh, that's fine. Because no. it's there with five games or six games left for Argyle. Mm. They've got a game in hand of all the teams below them, uh, bar Charlton, who are also in the playoffs. So I think... Most fans are quite right to feel disappointed should they not get there. But I don't think it'll be the end of the world. But it's just part of having that emotional interest, isn't it? I think it's no different. I think if we were, when in December, if we would have said we're going to finish safe and just outside the playoffs, everyone would have taken it. Yeah. When you get there, the expectations are slightly different. So that, that's going to be no different at any time. Yeah. So I wouldn't overly worry about that. I, I think that the, the, the biggest disappointment will be from the players and the manager. I think if they don't make the playoffs... Um, that they will be very, very disappointed. But the only thing I would say is that it is in our hands. Yeah. It's not like we're reliant on anybody else. If we get to the playoffs, it'll be because we've got to the playoffs. We're not sitting back and waiting for teams to win or lose. Um, if we don't make it, we don't make it. And, and it will be down to us. Maybe towards the end of the season, it's going to get a little bit tough because we've got Rochdale and Scunthorpe uh, midweek to travel and play games. And that's going to be tough. And... Um, you know, we, we'll, we'll see what happens. But 
you know, we've got every chance and uh, whatever happens between now and the end of the season, it's been, I think, a very, very good season. And touching on that as well, you know, so many of these players, you, you look at, the, we're here last season, you know, you've got Gary Sawyer, you've got, um, you've got Sonny Bradley, you've got Frelkeld, you've got Carey, you've got Fox, you've got Ryan Taylor, and how many players in their career have a chance to get two successive promotions? You know, that's going to be something that the players will want. And the ones that have come in this year, the lone players, is something great for their CV. So... I think I think you know touching Danny's point that the players I think will be a little bit disappointed, but they're showing great spirit at the moment. If that can continue, they've got just as good chances as anyone. I think, and I, I think I wouldn't uh, taking myself away from Argyle as a fan and as a journalist. I don't think I'd want to play Argyle in the playoffs at the moment with the form they're on. No, no, not at all. Very much the form team. Um, just getting back to Saturday's game, then obviously there were uh, a number of controversial incidents. You texted me during the game, Jack, saying. Was it Fox should have been sent off? Oh, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Ness because there was no mentioning Fox. It all happened so fast. There was mm. one player, I think, that went into a, a tackle and, and we were all surprised that nothing was given. That was Jamie and, Ness. It was Jamie Ness. I mean, it was... Again, I only saw it at first glance. Obviously, I didn't even know which player it was. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's hard. I've seen because there's been no show of that on the replays or the highlights. Yeah. So I've not seen that back. But I remember thinking at the time, he's lucky to get away with that one. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I do remember it because it wasn't that far from the dugout, um, just outside their penalty area. Uh, um, and... To me, it was just a clash. You know, yes, you know, the referee played advantage because Peterborough had the ball. Um, but the player was down. They had the ball. So if they felt that they wanted to kick the ball out and, and stop the game, they could have done, but they didn't. That went on for about 45 seconds to a minute and the player was still down. And then the ball went right next to him. He got up and started dribbling with it, you know, which was ridiculous. And the referee blew up um, for, 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 for a free kick. And then the player kicks the ball away. So... You know, do I know? I don't, I don't, there was a lot of incidents that happened. Was it a penalty? Yes, it was. He caught him late. He should never have gone for it. Oscar was always going to head the ball. Should the guy have been sent off off the ball incident with Carey? I think it was a bit harsh. I think it probably, you know, was it a booking? I don't know. The player did have a little look at him and just collided with him. I thought it was a bit harsh, but they get given and sometimes they don't. Taylor, I mean, he was an idiot. You know, why would you be messing around like that once you've, you've been booked already? You are not going to get away with that. And he's got, his, he's got himself to blame for that. So I thought the referee was poor. But yes, it was a penalty. Sending off was a bit harsh, but they, I've seen them given. And Taylor was a second bookable offence. And that was the right decision. During the game, he made a lot of poor decisions. But that's the same for both teams. Um, well, I was going to say, looking at the comments, both from Peterborough fans and from Argyle fans, they were pretty much, you know, unanimous in their in their sort of um, belief that the referee was poor for both teams. Yeah. I, I, I so. think I think Argyle got a bit of luck in that game, to be honest with you. And I think you know there's been plenty of times we can all recall where Argyle haven't had the luck. And I think if Derek Adams, if the roles been reversed, and exactly what happened to Argyle, happened to Peterborough. I think Derek Adams would have been just as annoyed as Steve Evans. Um, Sending off was there was no it was never a sending off I don't think. I didn't think the two players bumped into each other. There was no elbow. His hands were down by yeah. his side, and I think I have every confidence as Steve Evans said in his interviews afterwards that I saw on YouTube that that will be that will be overturned. I can't see how a panel no, will allow that. To I, I think that what what he's done, um, and as a player, I, I I know what he's doing. He's he's looked over his shoulder and saw Kerry making a run, and he just put his body in the way. Mm. It was a free kick. He did impede him, but it, but it wasn't a sending off. No. It was a bit harsh. So whoever saw that incident, you know, made the bad. But I don't actually think we were that. I mean, Taylor should maybe sent be sent off early with the um, incident with Ness when he absolutely battered him in the middle of the park. Um, so penalty, yes. Taylor being sent off, yes. 
The only, the only apart from the other incidents that he was poor for both sides, was the sending off. Mm. Other than that, I think the other big decisions were correct decisions. Mm. Um, there's lots of questions sent in about Steve Evans. Um, Barry Jury says, Steve Evans is a very bad loser. Every decision that went against his team, he went over to the fourth official complaining. I lost count how many times he ran over and complained to him. Evans is a nightmare to referees. I honestly think he should have been sent off as well as his two players. I'll, I'll, he, he does it every game though, doesn't he? It's not, you know, every time you just see Steve Evans constantly berating the fourth official, the referee, the linesman. I commented, I commented on my Twitter that he, he, was, he raised his hands up and down so often that it was surprising to take <laughs> yeah. off. Um, but what I'd say is, first of all, Barry says Steve Evans is a bad loser. I wouldn't want a good loser as a manager. No. I think it shows passion and, uh, and I'm all for that. And I think, I think Steve, Adam, Steve Evans and Derek Adams are quite similar in a lot of ways, actually. And any fan that watches the managers will know that the forfeiture doesn't get an easy time standing next to Derek Adams either. And I think Argyle fans like that. Um, you know, th- th- there's been plenty of times where the forfeiture's had to step in and, and get in between Derek Adams and other managers. And I think Paul Watson and Steve Evans squared up very early in the game. I think their assistant manager, Paul Reynolds, is possibly he's, worse. Yeah, he is worse. I was just about to say the same thing. He's, he's Watching him, he seemed to be far more irate than Steve Evans did. Um, he was jumping up and down at every, at every single opportunity. But again... It shows passion. And personally, I'd rather have a manager like that than one that's just sat with his arms crossed and a dugout that doesn't really care. Obviously, the line you've got to tread. But I do think that Steve Evans and Derek Hansel are quite similar. And anyone that criticizes Evans for being a bad loser, you only have to be in a press room with Derek Adams afterwards and he isn't always the best loser either. And that is a sign of a good manager, in my opinion. And again, like I said, he also gives the fourth official a very hard time. You know, He's often shouting at a fourth official. And, and, and if you can hear him, it's not always easy. So... I don't think any Argyle fans can really have a go at Evans and not, and not take a look at Adams and think they're quite similar. I, I, I think that we've, we've, there is a fine line between being passionate and wanting to win and just being a bad loser where you've believed that everything goes for the opposition and not you. And I think that we've had Paul Cook here, we've had Ainsworth here, um, and there were incidents um, when he was at Portsmouth Port, uh, Cookie that... They were time-wasting Ainsworth's teams, time-wasting from the very start. And I remember even in the Peterborough players, they were taking forever to take throw-ins and little free kicks and, and stupid things right early in the game. Now that tells me everything I need to know about how those managers then portray to their players. And I think that there's, there's, a, there's a difference between, you know, bad decisions by the referee and getting upset about it and just believing that everything that goes against you and you're going to let, make sure that the referee knows it from, day, from, the, from the moment the, you kick off. The problem is, I think you could argue that happens to most managers these days. Well, you, go, you go into any, any press conference afterwards and the referees are sent to the topic. The home, the one manager will say it was a penalty, the other manager will say it wasn't yeah. a penalty. I think I, think I remember um, Doncaster, away our goal, were lucky to not concede a penalty in the last few minutes and Derek Hamm said it never was. Ferguson said it was. That happens at every game. Yeah, yeah, I, no, think I, that's, I think that's we get that. I, I, just, I just think that... When I see certain teams playing, I think it reflects on their manager. Their manager yeah. I really do. And, I, and, and there's been many games over the last two, three years where, you know, it's just like when Wick, we played Wickham. They, were, they wasted time from the very first throw-in that, that was taken. It took two minutes to take that throw-in. And that was at the very beginning of a game. The thing is, the thing is though, I'm, I'm not Steve Evans' biggest fan, for example, but I remember a game against Exeter, Derek Adams um, told the player not to give it back after an injury. That, that happens in games. If you're going to be an Argyle fan, that, you're going to judge an opposition manager. That, you've got that, to that, that's slight, I get that, but that, that's slightly different 
at the very beginning, the first throwing you get in a game, that you're going to take two minutes and you're going to slow everything down. There's a difference between you're 1-0 up with 10 minutes to go and then you're trying to you know, protect or, or put the ball in the corner of... There is a difference. But, a difference, but again, for me, it's the fact that if, if Peterborough have 1-0 up, which they were very early on, you're going to do all you can to try and win the game and frustrate the home fans, frustrate the... Yeah, but that's players. fine. And that, but that's what happened. You that's fine, fans. but then you have to accept criticism yeah. when it doesn't go your way. And Derek Adams, is no, it's no different for him either. Yeah. And I'm not saying that one shouldn't win the other, but I'm just saying that there are certain managers... To be fair to Steve Evans, I actually think he's not as good as what he, th- he believes he mm. is. He believes he's a great manager and he should be play- uh, ref- managing at the highest level. I'm not so sure. I think he's a competent manager, yes, but is he? Is he? I think he's got a lot of self belief in himself, and I think that's a little bit. You know, I just think he he he, he thinks he's a bit bit better than he really is. That's my opinion. You you're an expert, Danny. Uh, if Steve Evans came in and wanted to sign you, is he someone you'd like to play for? I don't know. I don't know him personally. I, I, there are certain managers that I know about, and and I uh, you can get a good idea of their personalities from the way they talk after games, the way they talk about other people and other teams and other managers. There are some managers that I wouldn't like to play for, no. Um, there are some managers for me that um, tread that very, very fine line bet- uh, with gamesmanship and cheating. And I don't like it. And, and as a player, I would be very, very careful signing. You know, some players might say you'll go to a club that you know, it might be that their desire to win. And there's, a, there's that fine line again between passion and desire. And that just treading over that line for me. And I think that there's one or two managers that have been at Argyll um, over the last two, three years that I would be very reluctant to go and play for them. And Steve Evans, would I, would I want to play for him? Probably not. Probably not. But, you know, that's, a, that's just a personal thing with yeah. me. You know, it might not be a, a problem if somebody's going to be, offer me double the wages. <laughs> would I think about it? I'd think about it. But if I'm going to sign a three-year contract with a guy that I don't really like as a person um, but it's very difficult because I don't know him well enough but some of the antics that he's done over the years I've not always been you know a, a lover of him and uh, I would be very reluctant to, to do that yeah um, Steve Beer is saying Steve Evans is just a very average manager who is punching above his weight at Peterborough quite interesting looking at the Peterborough fans yesterday there's not many that seem to like him and his style of play so you know, while he was brought in to perhaps take Peterborough on and get them promoted, he doesn't I, seem to have the backing of the fans. I think Grant McCann was quite popular, and I, yeah. I think that maybe a lot of fans are still not happy with um, with him leaving. Possibly, um, look at Mansfield since he left. I think Mansfield have really struggled to to pick up any sort of results. I think lost at home to Crew on Saturday. I well. think I don't know if they've won their new manager. They might have won one game, possibly under Flitcroft in seven matches or something since since Steve Evans left. So, you know, Steve Evans was obviously doing something right there. Um, you know. Steve Evans is lucky, he walked into a quite a good job at Peter, but I think there's some very good players on that team. It's a bit like John Sheridan going to Fleetwood. Um, you know, Fleetwood for me were in a very false position and it, for John Sheridan's career that was a win-win because if he got them relegated, well they were there, they were struggling anyway, I couldn't turn it around. If he did what most managers you'd think should be able to do with that team, then look at where they are now and he's mm-hmm. hitting the portals. And I think it's very similar for Steve Evans. Um, is he an average manager? It's, it's hard to tell. He's not got a bad record on paper with, with teams, but as Danny said, it's some of the antics you hear about that go on alongside that. But it seems to be the higher he goes, the more he struggles. You know, Leeds, Peterborough. There are a lot of managers like that that can cope with certain aspects of football. They they bring in players to do a job, and if they've not played the game themselves at a high level, 
um, and they've they've sort of manipulated the system with with loan players and they've had a bit of success lower down. There are a lot of managers out there that they go up to a higher level and they do struggle with the better quality of players. Um, and I think that he possibly is one of them. I think, to be fair to him, I can't believe I'm sticking up for Steelers a little bit in this podcast because I'm not his biggest fan, but I mean, I don't think any manager would like to go to Leeds and try and manage them. I mean, they're a bit of a basket case yeah, club. Absolutely. I think you can, you can list off some very good managers that have lost their jobs after a few months there. And sometimes it could be hard, can't it, for lowly managers to get that chance and you just wish they've got, some of them got a bit, bit of a, a longer spelling. But I think what you said earlier was dead right in the sense that, you know, Peterborough were not a bad side anyway. They've got some good players. And you mentioned Fleetwood. And I wrote in my article when he got the job that I thought he was very lucky to get the Fleetwood yeah. job because he's inherited a very, very good side there. So if he doesn't do well there, then, you know, let's see what happens. Um, you know, once this little period is over, the honeymoon period, but what is inherited. And I think there's a lot of managers that, you know, it seems there's this fashionable thing with chairman at the moment that a club's doing well and they get rid of the manager. You know, and you think to yourself, they feel that, right, we look like we're going to get success. We've got to bring in a better quality manager that might, when we do get promotion, they might be better in, the, in that position. And, I, mm. and it never ceases to amaze me that. And I think to myself, it can be a big mistake sometimes, and it's backfired quite a few times. I think Birmingham's the prime example. Yeah, of that, you know, definitely. Just outside that. the playoffs, get rid of Gary Rowett and look yeah. at where they're they are. Look what Gary Rowett's doing now. Yeah, just getting back to the the, um, the game on Saturday, then, and from an Argyle perspective, Richard, would you agree that Graham Carey is lighter on his feet this season compared to the previous two? If he is, is this cheating, gamesmanship, or just shrewd in this division? This 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 question. Uh, Richard sums up what I'm saying is that I just think if you've got to be logical when you look at things you can't you can't really be blinkered I know that's a fast prerogative they want to be blinkered but if Marcus Madison had possibly made the most of it like Graham Carey did in that incident there's no doubt that Argo fans would be up in arms Derek Adams would be up in arms saying it's a cheat and then when, yeah. their, when your player does it everyone's saluting him saying it's the best thing since sliced bread now it can if you look at it logically it can't really work like that that being said it is part of the game you know, and if you don't do it, I think you get punished for not doing it. You know, you fall behind, you don't get chances that other teams get. And as the saying goes, if you can't beat them, join them. Now, do I want to see that in the game? Possibly not as much, but it's down to the referees to control that sort of situation. You know, they've got to look at it. They've got to look at time wasting. You know, they've got to look at all sorts of things like that. They've got to look at players faking injuries and like the one that after the nest tackle that got up straight away. Now, those, I think these types of things need to be looked at after. Now, if that player that had obviously got up and was fine... I got a yellow card after the game, one extra towards his tally, then maybe players won't do it so much. There's got to be some sort of system in place where these things can be looked at if it's able to get out of the game. But Graham Carey's just doing what other players do, and I think if you don't, then you're going to struggle more than other teams. And it's, uh, it's sad to say, but I think that's a fact. Yeah, but Graham Carey, let's, let's be honest, we know he's targeted anyway. So a lot of the times he is fouled. He is. Because he's very tricky, great close ball control, runs at players, he's always trying to attack players, and defenders at this level are not all the, always the best. And he gets blocked, he gets tripped, he gets brought down. And there are times when he goes down a little bit easier. But there ain't many occasions where I just see him dive without contact. I've never seen him dive without contact. I've seen him go down lightly, like many other players do. Would I call him you know, any different to what he's been in the past. Now I think Graham Carey's always been one that, he's a tricky little player. And believe me, when you're running at full pelt as a player and you get a little nudge or you get off balance a lot easier. I don't like cheating, I'm, I'm old school. I, I hate diving. But in this day and age, if there's contact, okay, and you're put off balance and you go down, 
you know, whether it's light or whether it's not light, it's a free kick. Um, and it is the sign of the times, like Jack said. You know, we live in that era now where if you're fouled or if there's contact, you're gonna, if you're out of position or you're not gonna be in, in full balance of yourself, then you're gonna go down and you're gonna gain a, a gain of free kick. So, but I don't think he's been that different to what he was ever but, since. But I think been. you could argue, you know, like you said, you know, it's, it's, he's, he's often targeted, he's a tricky little player. You could argue the same with Marcus Madison, who's renowned in the Football League for, for his antics. You could also you say the same about him. But I mean, Daniel, how do you think you'd go about stopping it? Well, it there's only one way to stop it. And, and again, like, uh, like anything, if retrospective action is something that we have to do, we have to. Because if somebody cheats, if somebody actually dives and the referee hasn't seen it, retrospective, if you're trying to gain an advantage by there's no contact, listen, if there's contact, there's contact. If you've gone down lightly, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about blatant cheating. Now, if, if the guy um, on Saturday went down for, for literally a minute and was rolling around and then literally got up and started running around, that to me is cheating. Mm. And what you've got to do then is retrospectively punish him for that um, and, and hopefully, if we do that consistently enough and do it correctly, we will get, we'll get these players that if they got away with it during the game, they won't get away with it afterwards. And that's what I would do. There's time, like, time waste as well, like you said. Yeah, what's, what's happened to referees controlling time wasting? Goalkeepers seem to be allowed like 20, 30 seconds to take goal kicks yeah. now. I remember when I first started going to football, which was about 15, 20 years ago, and you know, if you took more than six, seven, eight seconds, you, yeah. you were getting warned by the referee. That doesn't seem to happen anymore. Unfortunately, referees do not at this level, League 1 and League 2, they are very, very poor. And they do not take the opportunity. They've got... The rules are there. They've, they're in a position, they can do something about it, but they very rarely do. Well, it's, it's interesting you say just League 1 and League 2, they're very poor, because obviously this is a talking point in the Premier League as well. And even looking at the World Cup, you know, we, we heard last week that there's no English referees going to the World Cup this year, which I believe is the first time ever. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. We're going to the biggest tournament of football in the world. And instead of taking the best referees in Europe and maybe South America, you're taking referees from very small countries yeah. that have hardly any football, don't use VAR, they don't play any high-level they don't referee high-level matches, and then they're going with quick, very, very powerful footballers. You know, it is the most... I've never heard anything like it. Mm. How can you go to a tournament with referees that cannot cope with the pressures that they're going to be under? Yeah, totally so, agree. So, so do you think there's a way that maybe former footballers could go into refereeing? I mean, there's some footballers that don't want to go into coaching or want to stay in the game. Well, they we, understand we, the game. Why isn't there some sort of... Well, I, I, I've had this... I think I was posed this question before, and I will answer it very quickly. Players are not allowed to go and get filtered through quickly. When I went to Soho Square, with, I was sat in the same room as George Graham, Laurie Sanchez, Harry Redknapp, myself, and there was referees on the other side of the table and we were talking about trying to improve the game, trying to get maybe players going through the refereeing quicker. And I'm saying, look, we want to do the refereeing. We want to, let's just say a player gets injured but he's played for five, ten years. Why can't we fast track him? As long as he can do the, the exams, as long as he knows the rules, they're going to be fitter, they're going to be more knowledgeable. They wouldn't have it. They are saying that if all the referees take ten years to get into actually the basement of football, and then by the time they get into any sort of higher leagues, it's retirement age. Mm. So if you retire at 35, by the time you get into the football league, you're 45, well, 
45, 46, you're retired as a referee. And they wouldn't have it. They would not have ex-players fast-tracked into referee. And what do you think about that? Is that well, right you, you've got to find... If, if you want players to referee and you want to make it attractive for them, money's a part of it now. But back then, we were prepared to, to look at that, but they weren't prepared to do it. The referees said that if we have to take that amount of time, they feel that you need the experience through non-league football, park football, and then if you get into... You know, back then the fourth division, but by that time you're, you're almost retirement age. It's taken too long. So that's why a lot of the footballers would not have a chance because all they're going to be doing is going to park football and, and non Would you agree with that? Or do you think footballers? No, I think, I think footballers, as long as they know the rules, as long as they go through their exam procedure, they should be fast tracked into it. And if they're fast tracked into it and they're capable, because obviously I'd like to think they're fitter, they're more knowledgeable, and they can understand the game a little bit better than people that have never played the game, they will do a great job. But I don't think that's ever going to happen. No, I think you're right. There needs to be some sort of change from the referees' association yes. in their in their attitudes, really. Yeah. Uh, another Richard has sent us in a question. I've certainly been telling friends and family that you have to enjoy these times. Go back to Argyle, of course. Uh, there is no doubt that under Derek Adams and the current ownership model, Argyle. Are are greatly overachieving. How real do you think the threat is that we will now struggle to offer Derek Adams and key players the type of contracts necessary to keep us at this exciting level? Do you want to ask that, me to go with that? I'll tell, tell, tell you what does surprise me. I'm surprised Derek Adams isn't linked to a lot more jobs. I see, and I've said this quite a few times to, to Chris Errington, and you see Nathan Jones, for example, he's, he's heavily linked to a lot of jobs. You see Danny Cowley, who's heavily linked to a lot of jobs. And I'm surprised that Derek Adams doesn't be linked more strongly to other jobs. Well, I, think, I think West Brom last week was the first time I've seen him linked with a job for, I mean, for ages. We did a piece on that, and that, admitting that's a tenuous link, you know, he's just on the short list. Mm. But I'm surprised he's not talked about as one of the frontrunners for some of these jobs because his record in Scotland and in England is absolutely incredible. He's 41, 42, he's had over 10 years now as a manager, he's got God knows how many promotions, he's taken Ross County to somewhere where they should never be. Yeah. It's, it's incredible, and I think I'd be shocked if there weren't clubs coming in for him because if I was. A, a, a championship manager a championship chairman it's, I'd be well, struggling to find arguments to not give them <clears throat> some sort of interview I've, I've told you both I, you know, I, I still think there could be a link with Derek Adams and, and Rangers in the summer well, this, the, other, the other interesting job is, is Aberdeen isn't it every time Derek yeah. McInnes gets linked to a, a role away you'd think that but again apologies in advance to any Scottish listeners but I'm not so sure that if you're a really ambitious manager I think if Derek Hampton is clever, he could buy this time and get a job, a very good job in England, and I think he could take them possibly further. Now, of course, you might get into Europe with Aberdeen, you might get into Europe, but how far are you going to get in Europe? I think you've got to be careful as a manager to pick your jobs. Look at Chris Coleman. I mean, I'm sure he's regretting his decision. You've got to be very careful, and it'll be very interesting. Whatever happens, this, whether we go up or whether we stay in this division, it's been interesting to see how James Brett and the board compete in terms of trying to sign players for next season because if we move, if we miss out on, a, on promotion through the playoffs, if we get there, you've still got to try and look to bring players in and compete a bit more to try and make that next step. If we do get to the championship, it's going to be very hard to compete. And again, it's, it's be interesting to see what the shifts are and whether there'll be any extra brought in from anywhere else. It'll be fascinating. I think it could be very much be a burden sort of well, scenario. Yeah, I, I, listen, I think there are people talking about him quietly, personally. Uh, I think you're right you wonder why a lot more hasn't been made of his success here. And can we keep him? Probably not. If he keeps being successful, there are always going to be more money, better clubs 
that are going to be interested in good managers. It's as simple as that. It's not, it's not like we're trying to make something out of nothing here. If you're successful at a club that is doing as well as we're doing and as well as he's done since he's been here, they're always going to be interested. There's always going to be interest in the manager. There's always going to be interest in players. And we've just got to accept that. It's just part of life. How, what can the board do? Well, the board can do a lot if they want to. It just depends on how far they're prepared to go. Well, you James Brennan has admitted if they got into the championship, he wouldn't be able to sustain a, a, decent, well, a decent run in to try and get any higher than that. Would... Well, no, I mean, I think to actually, it, it would be even difficult even if you tried to fund uh, in the championship because the championship is the fifth or sixth, sixth richest in the world as a league because of the parachute payments from the Premier League. So to compete at that level is going to be tough whatever you do unless you get a massive wealthy benefit. I think the thing is though, I think if you finish 24th in the Championship, you get £5 million more than finishing top of League One. So, I mean, even if you went up, went down. I think that's, that's, yeah, that's the broadcasting fees you get yeah. at the start of the season. But, that, so. that's, that, but that's the beauty of it. You, you take the money. It's <coughs> like some teams in the Premier League, they're going to get relegated. They take the money to sustain themselves for the next five years yeah. in the Championship. Look at well, look, yeah, Burnley, a perfect yo-yo club. Oh, yeah. and, and West Brom. Yeah, West yeah. Brom were, were the same. They, they never used, they used to sort of have this, you know, if you, if you go down, you get half the wages and all that sort of so, you know, we've, got, we've just got to make sure that we do as well as we can do. Derek, whatever happens, there's nothing we can do to stop it. You know, James Brent has already said that he hasn't got the finances to back a successful side higher up. And that's going to include players and managers. So what, what I would say is the one thing that I've got in their favour is Derek Adams may look at it and think, well, am I going to get a decent run of that team? You know, how many teams are you going to take over where you can feel that you're going to get a year or two years to turn things around? Now, the board have got, I think, have got a lot of credit in the bank for, with Derek Adams' concern because a lot of clubs would have sacked him with that yeah. run of eight defeats to nine. Now, he might want to repay that and think, I'm safe here. You know, I, if he, he's confident that he can keep building, if James Brent can give him those assurances that there is something in motion how far they get them, then he, they could keep him. Because if he left and went to, I don't know, say, Middlesbrough and was there for five months then sat, then you're out of a job for six months then you're going back to looking at League One clubs again. But then... It's got to pick but, it carefully. So but, that could work in our Yeah, but you've got to remember this. There's no way that a player or a manager is not going to take an opportunity because the reason why you're in the job, as a player or as a manager, is to get to the highest level you possibly can. What you can't do and you won't do is, I'm sitting here and I'm happy. It's like a Premier League player on the bench earning 60 grand a week and not worrying about whether he's sitting on the bench, gets an opportunity to leave and play first team football somewhere else, but won't take it because he's getting more money sitting down doing nothing and he feels comfortable and safe. Right. Derek Adams, if he gets the opportunity, whether it be Argonne, he'll take it. He will take it because he wants to be as successful as he possibly can be. Now, whether that's with Argonne or not, I don't know. It really does depend on him and James Brent and the finances. But if James Brent's already hinted that if we get promotion, he's going to struggle to compete, then he already knows that he's in his bubble and he is safe, he's doing well here, and he may be happy up to a point, but where is that point? When does he go, do you know what? If somebody comes in for me, the first thing you don't think about is, am I going to be manager long? Am I going to be on the bench as a player if you're going to move to a bigger club? When I moved to a bigger club, I didn't think... Oh, no, but surely if, if Leeds came calling, part of you would be thinking, hang on, they sat managers every two months. No, no, no. Surely that that, make that, sense. That's, that's slightly different. You know, that's what, but you, you feel as a manager that you can actually do that job, that you're going to be better than because you believe in yourself. It's as simple as that. If I went to a team and I weren't going to be a first-team player because they're Man United, I can't sit there and think, oh, God, you know, how am I going to get the first team? I'm going to have to believe in myself that I'm going to be successful. Well, Derek Adams could... T I mean, why did Coleman take 
the Sunderland job because he feels he's going to be that one person that's going to be more successful than anybody else. Don't matter about the debacle before him. He believes that he can make the difference because he's a good manager. Well, if he's always frightened, oh, well, he, they sack managers, they sack managers. Tell me a club that doesn't sack managers. I saw an interesting interview with uh, Chris Coleman, actually, and they said, you know, are you going to be here next season? Yes. And, and he's like, well, yeah, I've moved my family up here. I'm here for the long run, you know. Yeah. Even if we're in League One next season, I'm going to rebuild this Well, club. he's also shown signs that they're improving. Yeah. But that's too late for them, I feel. Yeah, he'll have to rebuild in League One. And, and it, but, it, you know, you, but you always believe that if you're good at what you do, you cannot sit and go, do you know what, I'm comfortable here, so I've been offered a much bigger job, but I'm not going to take it because I don't know whether I'm going to be there for that long. You know, I understand what you're saying, Jack, but I don't believe that can be true in the sense that you're always, as a person, as a player and as a manager, you feel and you believe, if you know that you're good at what you do, that you can make the difference. And if five managers have been sacked at Leeds United in the last three years, you believe you're going to be that manager that is going to be able to go, I'm good at what I do and I'm going to be able to sort this club out. And if you can sort that club out, how does oh, it look on your Absolutely. CD? If it doesn't work, really, you've lost nothing because it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it, deep down, you know, they might have to start from scratch from the boardroom level all the way through. Like Sunderland have got to as well. But as a, as a manager and as a player, you always believe that if you're good at what you do and you believe in your own ability, that you can make the difference. You never know, it might be surprised. You know, we've been, we've been thinking Graham Carey's going to leave for the last few years, so you never know. No, no. And, I, and Derek Adams, I think, is, is happy. But I still think that he would love to have more finances, yeah, better opportunities to bring in better players to show what he can do. If he can do it with players of lesser ability and players that we've never even heard of, that suddenly go, wow, look at Ruben Lemiris, look at Jamie Ness, look at Sonny Bradley, look at Graham Carey. Look at Oscar Frelkeld. You know, there's players that nobody really heard of. So when people have come in, he's done well with them. What could he do with better players with more money? I don't know. He would love the opportunity. That's Maybe he should get it with Argyle. I think he said that Nathan Blissett's the only player he's ever spent money on as a manager. So, you know, it would yeah. definitely be something that he wants to try. And I'm sure as somebody's going to be linked strongly to some jobs. Yeah. He's, he's got and obviously we don't here want, want our manager to leave. Let's, let's be honest about that. But we're being realistic. And it's a sign of doing well. If your manager's wanted, that means you're doing well. I'd much yeah. rather that than nobody yeah. would, would take him off your hands. Well, again, it's comparisons with Paul Sturrock. You know, he did really well and was successful at Argyle and got the opportunity to go to Southampton. But that, so, again, that didn't last long, did it? And, well, a basket case club yeah. at the time, weren't they? So. Yeah. But I think, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm right in believing that, uh, that Sturrock turned down a few jobs before going to Southampton. So, you know, it's, 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 about, it's about the right opportunity. I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, Richard Sloman, another Richard. Uh, we are currently six points off Rotherham in fourth, with a game in hand and still to play them. Is there a reasonable prospect of our goal finishing fourth? That would mean a home second leg in the playoffs, and I feel we could beat anyone and overturn the deficit in front of the Green Army. It's definitely doable. I think we're six points off them. We've got a game in hand, and we've still got them to play. Now, if we didn't have them still to play. I'd argue that possibly it's too much with the goal difference as well. It's probably seven points because they've got a far superior goal difference, but. We, I mean, we were going to play Rotherham before our game in hand, I think. So if we, if we play Rotherham and we're then three points behind them, then we've got games in hand where we catch them. Who knows? I think, to be honest, anywhere in the playoffs would do, would do uh, me. It doesn't matter whether fourth, fifth, sixth. Um, Is that something players look at, Danny? Would they rather be at home or away second leg? Um, no, I, don't, I really don't think. I think, you know, if you had the choice, you probably would, would, would pick being home second. But I, I think right now, from where we were to where we are... I think being in the playoffs itself will be 
a terrific. And I don't think the players will worry whether who they play, when they play. You know, yeah, you might look, oh, you know, we'd rather have that team than that team. But right now, every player knows that it's the opportunity for them to be in the playoffs. And I really don't care um, what number we finish. Yes, it would be better if we finished fourth and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, how many times have the team in seventh got promotion uh, in the playoffs? I mean, the amount of times that's happened is, mm-hmm. is beyond me. When you talk about mentality, didn't you? you used to imagine that quite a lot. If you drop out of the top two, then mentally it's, yeah, it's a challenge. It's a psychological side. And I, I, I really do fear that Shrewsbury could be that team, you know, in, in League One. And I, all I can say is, once I'm a deaf, I wouldn't want to play Wigan. If by some miracle they didn't get into the top two, I think that, yeah. would, that would frighten the death. But, but, then, but then you look at, you look at say, Charlton, you look at Wigan, you look at Portsmouth, you look at a lot of these squads. They're big squads. You know, Blackburn, they, they've got money. They've got a lot of good players. I mean, you know, you've got Wigan, you've got three forwards that can score 20 goals plus a season. You know, there's not many teams. You know, they weren't that long ago in the Premier League. So they've got a massive advantage and you would expect them to be comfortable. Um, so of course you wouldn't want to play Wigan, you know. But if you did go and play Wigan, the expectation on you is very, very small mm. compared to... And also, going back to that psychological point, Jack, you know, if, if you do play Wigan, they've got to deal with the, the mental disappointment of having not got automatic promotion and you know they've had a long cup run this season mm-hmm. as well they're going to be tired come the end of the season I think if playoffs has taught us anything it's anything can happen yeah and and, and it, it won't really matter the fact, the fact is when we were in League 2 I suppose you would think of it this way we would have all bitten off anyone's hand if they offered us AFC Wimbledon in the, in the final and yeah. we turned up and we, did, we, didn't, we, we didn't, perform. Did, didn't perform no. and we lost is it's going to be nerve-wracking if we do get there for fans. I think no matter who you play, it's like the Liverpool home tie. You don't expect anything, but then when as you get closer, you think, "Oh my God, we can actually do something here." And then you start to feel the nerves. Well, it's a football game, eleven against eleven. You know that's where this, the sort of similarities and the, the evenness is, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. Listen, believe me, the players are full of confidence at the moment, and whatever happens, whether we play well or not, whether we get through or not, they will be very, very confident in beating anybody that's put in front of them at this moment in time. It may not work out that way, but right now they're going to be full of confidence. And that is a massive thing yeah. when it comes to football. And I've been there myself. We were very unfashionable at Millwall and we went up as champions. And nobody expected that to happen. Nobody. And it just goes to prove that they're a small club, as in, you know, in history. Um, but they got successful. Plymouth are no different. It's a shame, really, for, for Derek Adams that um, Paul Hurst done such a great job because I think Paul Hurst will get manager of the year. But I think it has Shrewsbury not been up there, you'd have to say Derek Adams would be one of the contenders. And it's a, it's a shame. Now, it's like, mind you saying that, not many managers <coughs> last season these days, so there aren't many to pick from, I wouldn't say no. anymore. Well, it's probably between those two, really. Yeah. yeah well, you, for, you, you know, we'll always go back to the reasons why everyone thinks we've done some work. It's because we're where we were not that long ago. You know, you come to Christmas and you're bottom of the table and you're, what, 80 to 1 to go down? I mean, or 80 to 1 to get into the playoffs or promotion. People don't rate you, and people, your chances are very, very small. So for that turnaround, what, two defeats in 19 or 20? Um, it's been unbelievable. And it's the transformation that has shocked everybody from where we were to where we are, but how quickly we got there. And I think that that's credit to everybody at the club, especially Derek Adams. Mm. Uh, Portsmouth on Saturday then that's the next game up for our goal almost a set out crowd there's only a handful of tickets remaining and they are of a restricted view it's going to be a cracking atmosphere on oh, Saturday I can't, I, I I can't, can't wait but yeah. I genuinely it's weird because for so long when we weren't doing so well you sort of forget the love and and over the last few years you sort of get that really 
butterflies in your stomach, sort of excitement that fans get, you know, it's that sort of love, which is why you, you're, you're a fan of football. And the, God, this, this Saturday is going to be a fantastic, a fantastic game. They normally are between the two teams. And just the atmosphere, you know, one of the drawbacks of when we got relegated down to League Two is the away crowd. And the away crowds are so small, there's no big atmosphere. And the atmosphere is a big part of the game. And, you know, Saturday will be an indication and a reminder of what can be should our goal manage to make that next step up. But it'll be a tough game, that's for sure. Uh, Portsmouth have been on quite a good run recently, mm. but Argyle have proven over the last 19 games that they're a match for anyone. So um, I just don't think anyone with any uh, serious heart condition should probably attend. It's going to no, be quite I, unfair. I, 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 yeah, I totally agree. I think it's going to be an absolute electric um, game. And I think that when I was sitting uh, in the back of the stand when we played Portsmouth in the playoff and we scored that last gasp mm. goal to get through... The atmosphere that day, I mean, it being a dockyard derby as well, and it being such a tight position for both clubs there, right next to each other, I think it's just it's just perfect timing for both teams, and especially playing at home. And I think, uh, I, I can't wait for it, to be honest. It's, 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 I'm going to get my boots out and play myself. I might sneak <laughs> on the pitch and have a look. I was going to say, being the next player, oh, this must be the game. So oh, they think, oh, play you know, the one thing that I said, that people say to me about, oh, do you miss football? And I said, what I do miss, I miss the day of the game. I miss the turning up, the warm-up, in the dressing room, the banter, the game itself, the atmosphere. That's what I miss. The injuries, the travelling, not so much. But that part of football, and when I'm sat there and I'm watching the game from the press box, I'm always itching. Thank God, you know, I, I remember being out there and I'd love to do that again. Obviously, I can't. Well, mind you, I might try it. I might give it a go. <laughs> I feel like legends, can you? Yeah, well, I've been on that pitch before, so... But, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it big time. And the good thing is, you know, the two teams have been so close together for so many years that rivalries, take away the dockyard thing, the rivalry's almost developed from mm. where the positions have been over the last mm. few years. I mean, they've been neck and neck for God knows how many years. It's, it's quite a sound that yet again, after the both teams being promoted, they're almost points exact, exact again. Yeah. But you wouldn't put it past either team to meet in the playoffs, would you? No. Oh, would you imagine no, that? No, no. That or even at Wembley. Yeah. I mean, it is it's true. Listen... They are a big, bigger club than us. Let's let's be honest. Their, their crowd, uh, you know, I mean, what's it averaging about eighteen, nineteen? Their fans, fans are passionate. You, you know, they're, they're great fans as well. They're they're they've got a very, you know, again, that long ago. You know, Harry Redknapp was manager of them in the top flight of football. For winning the, the FA Cup. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, let, let's look at, the, you know, that's the, the good thing about our guys, that there's a club that's got, had a lot more success in recent years and we've been neck and neck for the last few years. Right. And that just goes to show you how far we've come as a club. It's just a, it's just a shame it's not on an international weekend so it could be on TV. Because I think that would have been, I think it would be a great effort for League One football. And I'm going to be sat in Block 18, so I'm going to be right near the Port- Portsmouth fans as well. So that's <laughs> oh, going God. To be, yeah, you could be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally, then, guys, um, we've got a question. What position do you think Argyle will end up in? Any ideas for its final festival? From you? No, it's my another Richard. <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. Dave Searle, actually. Dave, Dave Searle. So, well, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to let this go. At the start of the season, <laughs> I predicted, in the big piece that we were revealing at the end of the season, I predicted I'll go finish fifth. At the start, very start of the season, and we're currently fifth now, so I'm going to stick with fifth, and I'll say I'm quite, I'm quite happy with that. Do you know what? I, uh, I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, I don't predict. <laughs> I don't predict, but, I'm, you know, for me... Being in the playoffs, just being in the playoffs would be a huge, huge thing. And I think that um, it's going to be tight, but I just hope that we just squeeze in there and get that opportunity 
get that opportunity for the players, the club, the fans, just get that opportunity. Whether we get there or not, as long as we get the opportunity to get into the championship after so many years, that, that, that's all I'm asking for. What I do wish, though, is I, I wish this, this Gunford game was a bit earlier. I wish we had this game in hand and have to wait for so long because you could have, you could have that points gap. I think Charlton are playing their game in hand this Tuesday, I think. So, yeah. It's, yeah, to be honest with you, I think if we played Rochdale when we were supposed to play Rochdale and we played Scunthorpe when we were meant to play Scunthorpe, I think it would have been a little bit easier. I think Rochdale have recovered from their yeah. cup run and I think that they're playing well now and I think Scunthorpe... I thought we were flying at the time and it would have been a good time to play there yeah. as well. And I think that it's a shame, but that doesn't mean that we can't go there and get a result. The, the two arguments are, you know, Scunthorpe, well, they could be dead and buried by that point if their run continues. It doesn't look like it's showing any signs of letting up their, their lack of wins in, in recent months. And Rochdale, I don't think there would have been much on that game at the time, but, you know, the second to last game of the season, both teams could be battling for something quite big. Exactly. And a fixture that was nothing before could be... Well, look at how Rochdale did against Portsmouth on Saturday, you know. Yes, they were a bit unfortunate. They were, yeah. Um, Late equaliser. And and that's my point, you know. They've been on their cup run. When we were going to play them, they were struggling. I think it would have been a good time to play them. Right now, their focus is on survival, and I think that it's going to just make that game. And they can see tougher. that sort yeah. of safety line now as well. Yeah. Can't they? It's weird because you almost lose where the table almost goes out of question. If you're fighting for something, you're almost equals, aren't you? If you're fighting for relegation or playoffs, uh, it almost becomes a very equal. That's position. what that's what <clears throat> makes the playoffs and relegation um, so d- different now because you've always, almost there's only about three or four teams that've got nothing to play for. Yeah. The rest have got something to play for, and I think that's what makes it so interesting towards the end of the season. Indeed. Well, that's all we've got time for. Danny, thanks ever so much for coming. My pleasure. Always nice to see you. And Jack, thanks for joining me too. And thanks to you out there for listening. We'll be back again next Monday with more of the same. We're always happy to hear from you. And if you have any questions for our panel, please tweet them to our Twitter account at Herald PAFC or visit our Facebook page, Plymouth Argyle The Herald. Thanks for listening.